today on the Daily Scoop podcast from the Scoop News Group. Agencies trying to make small business contracting goals are on the right track. Most agencies that I've been dealing with have been very serious about um, small businesses, not just in the contracting realm, but in the grant realm as well. Government's ahead of the private sector on a big IT trend. You can see, especially in the DOD front, that they're really thinking about that next phase of IoT and, and leveraging sensors and streaming data. And what's the point of fixing your financial management systems now? The goal is to to have the controls and processes in place so that you have timely, reliable data whenever you need it, not just for the financial statements that are prepared as of September 30th. It's Monday, March 7th, 2022. Welcome to the Daily Scoop podcast sponsored by Connecticut in partnership with AWS. Every afternoon, you'll learn what's going on today in government. I'm the host of the Daily Scoop podcast, Francis Rose. Here's what's happening now, and updates coming for the Zero Trust Maturity Model from the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency. The trusted Internet Connection Senior Technical Advisor at CISA, John Sims, says his agency will connect Zero Trust to the Continuous Diagnostics and Mitigation Program. Sims says the update will come out sometime this calendar year. The chief technology officer at the Pentagon's Joint Artificial Intelligence Center is leaving his job. Nan Mulchandani's been at the Jake since June 2019. He served as acting director of the Jake between Lieutenant General Jack Shanahan and Lieutenant General Michael Grone. You can read more about these stories and lots of other news at fedscoop.com. Today's Daily Scoop podcast is sponsored by Kinetica in collaboration with Amazon Web Services. Amazon Web Services supports the unique requirements and missions of the federal government, leverage to meet mandates, cut costs, drive efficiencies, and increase innovation. Think AWS for data. Visit aws.amazon.com federal to learn more. The General Services Administration has a final small business acquisition strategy for its services multi-agency contract. It'll include five categories for small businesses of different kinds. Angela Stiles is a partner at Aiken Gump. She's former administrator of federal procurement policy. Angela, welcome. It's great to talk to you again. What do you see here? Is there something between the lines that people should see as they look at what GSA is saying here about what they're going to do with this services, Mac? Welcome. Thank you very much for having me. Um, I I think from a a big picture perspective that this administration has been trying very hard to be inclusive with small businesses um, to ensure that they're receiving even more of the dollars, whether it's at a prime level or a subcontract level. Um, I think it's always the question of, is the approach, which you're trying to be efficient, which is what they're trying to do here, is that really going to benefit small businesses or not? And that's always my my you know question from category management to other efforts in the past. Is there more harm than good for small business? Does this become a nightmare from a protest perspective? Does this become you know difficult to manage easily from the internal agency perspective? Are there better contract vehicles or better mechanisms, or is it better than what you have right now or not? And better than what you have right now or not is probably the most important question about all of these big vehicles. We're seeing that with the enterprise infrastructure solutions contract, where agencies are at least satisfied enough with what they have to not feel a tremendous motivation to transition to EIS off networks as witnessed by the most recent Fatara grades. What what drives that motivation? And what's included in a big vehicle like this that makes an agency say, oh, we should do this because it's good for us, not because somebody's telling us to? 
Well, as you know, change is always really hard in the federal government. And it's the question of what's what are the goals behind the change? Like, what is it that, you know, the, the federal government or GSA in this instance is really trying to achieve? And are you going to be able to meet those goals? I mean, agencies are just very, very reluctant, whether it's consolidation or trying something new. If they're getting the performance and the level of performance they need from a contractor today or from contractors today, there's a lot of risk in changing how you're doing that. And there's just, you know, who wants to bear be the one that bears that risk, that has a competition and change changes um, from the incumbent to another contractor, uh, those are all really hard things or changes a different approach on how you're doing it, whether you're consolidating something or, or doing it a different way. There's a lot of risk and you know, contracting officers don't really generally want to bear that risk. Separating out the structure that GSA's created, this, this uh, contracting strategy that I referenced at the beginning of our conversation, what makes this easy or easier or what makes any vehicle easy or easier for an agency to use? What makes it more efficient for them to use? And then maybe we can think about it and talk about it from that point backwards. So, you know, it's easy access to it. It's, you know, an appropriate level of competition. So task order competition, which you would have here, um, you know, ability to sole source when you need to be able to sole source it, a good understanding of the capabilities of the companies that are on the contract. So, you know, predetermined terms and conditions are good, but you still have task order competition on something like this. So how much does it help you versus just going full and open competition or going to um, another contract vehicle? So this might be a dumb question to some of the people that are listening to this, Angela, but I see GSA is going to establish in this uh, MAC a category for 8A businesses, women-owned small businesses, service-disabled veterans, small businesses, hub zones, and general small businesses. If I'm buying in an agency, how do I decide, how do I allocate which of those I should go look under to decide who to buy from or what's available to solve my problem. Well, and that's my first question. Actually, when I looked at it, you've divided it up into the separate categories, but so many small businesses are in multiple categories. And so, you know, what is the best way to approach that? Do you, do you, how is that going to work if you're an agency? Where do you look? Um, which ones do you actually go out and, you know, ask for? Um, you know, requests for proposals or, you know, uh, uh, RFI or, you know, which one, how do you do it? Like functionally, I haven't quite figured out if you want to get both credit for 8A and woman-owned business, or if you want to get credit for hub zone and service disabled, how do you do that on this vehicle? I'm not, I'm not sure that's been well explained. All right. I guess that wasn't as dumb a question as I thought it was, <laughs> if you're not sure either. Um, that, I, that's an encouraging sign because, and maybe that's what it boils down to is an agency says they look at their own numbers and they say, we maybe we need a little bit of help in this one category above the others. And that's where we go. I mean, and, and so then I guess my question becomes, does that serve what the GSA and the administration is looking for as far as moving this money into these various categories. You know, it's hard to say. And and frankly, as a practical matter, what happens is you have incumbents and you have other people that are trying to get in that are going to be telling the agency, oh, just go to the ones for, you know, uh, you know, women owned businesses. Don't go, don't offer it up on, you know, uh, for anybody else. And so it, it creates a lot of unusual tensions in there. All right. Um, what, what would make this easier for the agencies then T to try to accomplish these goals of moving this money around among these various categories, but also not making it, it sounds like it's going to be a burden for these agencies to figure out these 
various categories and how to navigate them. And I wonder what removes that burden um, while still achieving the goal that the administration and GSA I don't know are what, trying yeah, I don't know set. why you wouldn't have them all together. Like, I, I just, I'm not sure why you wouldn't have them all together. I mean, maybe that just goes back to being more like a schedule, right? But, you know, why wouldn't you have them all together? You can say, you can come out and say, I want to limit this to eight days, or I want to limit this to, you know, women-owned small businesses. And then, you know, but but if you just had to decide for small businesses, then at least you get the opportunity for everybody that's you know there to be able to compete. Now, maybe it doesn't get to the goal of, I really need more dollars into women-owned small business this year, or I really need more dollars into HubZone. And maybe that's the purpose behind it. It's hard to tell. All right. Um, moving forward, what do you see more broadly for the small business community as a whole? Is the trend that you mentioned at the beginning of this conversation that the administration seems to want to push money to small businesses, is it working overall in your view? I actually think so. I mean, most agencies that I've been dealing with have been very serious about um, small businesses, not just in the contracting realm, but in the grant realm as well. Um, when you're when you're seeing um, when you're seeing RFPs or notice of funding opportunities coming out for grants, you're seeing a focus on small businesses, and um, it's not like I've seen in the recent past. So I do think agencies are are actually embracing it and taking it very seriously. Is there something that anyone, someone should do to continue that momentum in your view, or is what's happening now sufficient, do you think, to continue to drive that for the foreseeable future? I think as we start to see money come out from infrastructure and do agencies that like the Department of Energy or the Department of Commerce who maybe haven't had as large a budgets in the past and suddenly do have larger budgets that they continue to to keep that focus and not forget the importance of small businesses participating in this. Angela Stiles, great to talk to you as always. Thank you, my friend. Thank you. You can read more about GSA's acquisition strategy for the Services Mac in today's show notes, thedailyscooppodcast.com. I'm Francis Rose, the host of the Daily Scoop podcast. Coming tomorrow, the IT modernization agenda at the government's biggest IT operation. Dr. Kelly Fletcher, the Principal Deputy Chief Information Officer at the Defense Department, is here. That Daily Scoop podcast debuts tomorrow afternoon at fedscoop.com and wherever you get your shows. Federal IT dashboard is getting a makeover. One reason for the redos, the availability of more data about federal IT and getting that data faster than ever. Nima Negabon is chief executive officer of Kinetica, Kinetica sponsoring today's Daily Scoop podcast in partnership with AWS. Nima, welcome. Thanks for coming on the program today. What are you seeing as far as this volume of data that agencies are able to get? What tools are they using to be able to parse that data and interpret it and do stuff with it with the speed that they're able to now? Welcome, Nima. Yeah, yeah. thanks for having me, Francis. Yeah, I mean, you know, we're seeing this continued, you know, explosion uh, in, in the data volume. And, you know, what's more of a, you know, emerging trend is uh, that the the data recency, right? You know, having that data, con you know, constantly streaming in and being able to actually analyze it in a meaningful way is, you know, what you know, uh, government enterprise uh, IT professionals and you know, organization leaders are looking for, right? They're looking for that single pane of glass that shows them, you know, the latest data, right? Where they have the ability to actually uh, do decisioning analysis at the speed of thought, um, and that's really. Um, You've, you've got the market kind of coming online with the the value that that can provide and how they operate their enterprise, right? And government has uh, always been ahead on on the sensor front as far as the amount of sensor data that they collect. 
uh, and where they're you know really coming online here is understanding how to take real time and make it you know a, a really actionable uh, set of uh, decisions and, and uh, you know uh, operations that they perform for for their enterprise. I like that term single pane of glass. Is the dashboard concept like the one I mentioned at the beginning of our conversation? the best way to go about doing that in 2022 that I, I mean we've had dashboards around the federal government at least for a number of years now and i wonder if that's even the best way to do it today yeah i mean it's all it's part of it right i mean you know in the past the idea of the dashboard has been something that's while it's updating constantly it's not something you can interact with the key difference that you know think you know solutions like connecticut provide is it allows you to look at something say hey that you know that doesn't look right and then actually do further analysis right so you know, the past decade of, of you know, real-time monitoring has been, hey, I know the things I want to monitor, right? And so I will, you know, continuously just update these uh, accounts to show that. And it's a, it's, it's a fairly static uh, information asset. And now you have uh, tools like Kinetica that allow you to uh, not only get that real-time uh, monitoring, but then dig in and, and double-click. Uh, and that's really important because, you know, sometimes there's false positives and sometimes, you know, you really need to be able to do that uh, you know, follow an analysis to say this is legitimate and, you know, we need to do something about it. Yeah, do, doing something about it I, I, is the term that I hear IT professionals and all kinds of decision making professionals all across government saying about their data. Um, a long time ago, when I first started covering this, people were talking about the concept of how you can use your data to ask questions of it to help make decisions. And we're yeah. still there, it sounds like, in 2022. It sounds like we're still understanding the best ways to shape it, collate it, curate it, to then be able to ask it questions and do stuff with it, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, a big part of it, of like AI and ML and decisioning is actually understanding the data and being able to do data exploration, right? So, um, you know, a lot of the tooling that's out there has been built around, you know, known questions and knowing what to look for, knowing what to ask, and you haven't had the solutions that allow you to really explore and find the unknown unknowns or find that needle in the haystack. And, and that's the real difference with Connecticut is that, you know, we're really driving that that uh, experience in a way that's you know really easy for your you know data engineering teams and your IT teams. When you have a lot of stuff, as agencies are realizing they do, right. I, I think they become more aware, don't they, that they probably not only had more than they thought they had, but they probably still have more they haven't discovered. Right, Nima? Oh, definitely. I mean, um, you know, with uh, you know things like uh, I don't know with Kafka and Confluent and how ubiquitous that's become, right? You've got uh, a great consolidation of these data data streams and assets all landing in one place, and for the first time, you have a, a place to look um, to really say, well, what what can we be doing with with you know these different data streams? And um, you talked about like kind of the collating and, and the, the cataloging. Uh, there's been a tremendous effort across government and the commercial space. And a lot of solutions out there that really have been focused on just that effort, and you, you've gotten to a point of maturation where they do have a, you know, in a, a lot of times a good catalog, right? Um, but understanding what what is actually in those data streams, in those data sets, and what new data products they can make that can actually drive, um, you know, new new actions is is the whole kind of next phase of this, right? You know, we've gotten everything organized now for the most part. Um, you know, I think the 2000s for, for government and, and their, you know, the, the early uh, teens is all about just sensor connectivity, getting stuff landing in, right, and then getting it cataloged. And now we're, we're getting to a place where it's about fusion, 
about analysis, about you know really understanding the data and seeing how you know different data points link up and you know what new insights that uh, could drive for that organization. In that timeline that you just laid out, Nima, where is confidence in data quality on that timeline? Is that something that we're still kind of working through in the government community? Or is that something that we can say, yeah, I think we're past that and agencies can pretty, be pretty confident at maybe the quality is not that great, but at least they know what the level of that quality is. Yeah, I think, you know, that's 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 a per organization effort, right, to really go through that. And I think there's definitely, you know, data quality issues that need to be uncovered, right, and investigated in the data analysis tool. I mean, to look at data quality, you need to be able to actually look at all of the data, right? And you need to have SMEs and, you know, have have a tool for them to be, you know, easily used. So, you know, every organization, you know, is kind of going through that timeline and, from what I've seen, it's gotten to a pretty good point. But yes, that's something that never goes away, um, and it, it's definitely uh, getting easier because you have you know engines like Kinetica that make it really easy to just you know churn through all of the data. Like as an example, we've had customers that have a lot of radar data, um, and you know understanding how well we're actually you know deciphering the radar signal to get to that XY. Kinetica makes that a lot easier because you can look at all you know all the geolocation. Uh, points that the radar is uh, putting off, right? So similar, that similar story goes across the board, you know, across all of government. Are there places where the government is ahead of the private sector in data it, it, regarding any of the topics that we've talked about so far? Yeah, federal IT has had sensor, you know, a, a high volume and a variety of sensor data a lot earlier than kind of commercial enterprise, right? They've spent time thinking about that first phase, which is connectivity and collection, right? So they've really conquered that. And if you look at things like uh, JADC2 in the DOD space, where they're really now thinking on a much broader scale around a whole kind of universe of sensors, right? And the connectivity uh, challenges there, and then the analytic and ML challenges there, you can see, especially in the DOD front, that they're really thinking about that next phase of IoT and, and leveraging sensors and streaming data. Because, um, you know, looking at commercial, most commercial endeavors, it's still a lot about kind of connectivity collection and then, you know, analysis on that single stream where DOD is thinking about, you know, we've got a universe of, of sensors here. How do we make sense of it? How do we make a framework that all of the DOD can use? Yeah, and it's fascinating to me, Nima, because that universe is continues to expand. I had a conversation with a data professional in the Pentagon last week, and uh, this person said, I thought 10 years ago we were sticking sensors every place we could stick sensors and we're thinking of places today to stick them that nobody ever imagined before. So this is this is the beginning of this, right? This is we haven't we haven't hit a crest. Yeah, I mean it, it's it's a interesting story on multiple levels. It's there's a hardware story to to this because there's a lot of innovations in the sensors themselves, what we measure, you know, the form factors, there's a connectivity uh, evolution here. So 5G is a big part of this, right? And making it uh, much easier to uh, be able to collect richer data, more high fidelity data. And then there's an analytics and ML story here where, you know, now that you have this rich set of data that's coming in at this volume and speed, how do you make sense of it? How do you find these interconnections that, you know, uh, may have been missed in the past? How do you present it to the user in a way that's meaningful? How do you action, right? 
all of this is coming online now and it's you know all of these things are are you know coming to this maturation point so it's an exciting time um in this you know iot you know real-time data space that's where the the ultimate benefit is going to be too isn't it nema that you can use this stuff instead of just storing it that you can use as we talked about earlier in this conversation you can ask it stuff you can make decisions with it and and make it really actionable right Absolutely. Right. You know, to be able to have that single plane of glass, do the that analysis, then, you know, derive insight and then set those insights as things to, you know, continuously monitor for so that you get alerts or you action other uh, parts of your your enterprise. Um, that's what this is all about, making that easy and um, doing it across all of your data sets, because, you know, each different uh, data set is really, you know, a different viewport into, you know, your organization and, you know, visibility is such such a challenge for enterprises that are as large as the ones we're talking about. Nima Negabon of Connecticut, it's great to talk to you. Thanks for coming on the program today. Thanks for having me, Francis. Appreciate it. You can read more about the new edition of the IT Dashboard in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. Military and civilian CIOs will lay out their strategies for the cloud at the Public Sector Innovation Summit. It's coming April 14th at the Ritz-Carlton Pentagon City. You can find a link to learn more in today's show notes, thedailyscooppodcast.com. 21 federal agencies have clean audit opinions for fiscal 2021, but the Government Accountability Office's review of financial statements for the year finds some of the same old problems keep cropping up. Dawn Simpson is Director of Financial Management and Assurance Issues at GAO. Dawn, welcome. Thanks for coming on the program. Is it good news or bad news, do you think, that 21 of 24 CFO Act agencies have clean opinions for fiscal 2021? Welcome. Yes, thank you for having me. Well, when you look back at just, you know, not that long ago when the agencies were first having their financial statements audited, only six of the 24 Chief Financial Officer Act agencies were able to achieve a clean opinion, and that was in 1996. Uh, and since that time, you know, agencies have significantly improved their financial reporting, and it was at 21 agencies for the fiscal year 21 financial statement audits. Um, and we've been running about that 22 around there for the last few years. Um, there are um, a couple of agencies that it, it tends to be that, um, that, that do have more challenges. Uh, DOD is one that has yet to be able to achieve a clean opinion on its financial statements, and that continued to be the case for fiscal year 21. Um, and then the other agency has varied over the last few years. Um, for the last uh, two years, uh, it has been the Small Business Administration that um, has not been able to um, achieve a clean opinion on their financial statements. One of the DOD points that you mentioned in your most recent report on fiscal 2021 is that DOD reported it resolved 13% of prior year audit findings. That made me think of the same question I asked you already. Is that good news or bad news? There were there were a lot of them. Thirteen percent is probably in number quite a few, and uh, I wonder whether that's good and and whether the things that it fixed were significant or minor. I know there's a broad spectrum of uh, areas in which the DoD still has weaknesses. Right, and it is good that uh, DOD continues to make progress. Uh, you quote you. Um, 
as you said there, that 13% might not sound like a lot, but when you think about how many findings there are out at DOD, um, that 13% does actually uh, equal quite a few of number of issues that they are resolving. And they, um, they actually had a larger percent of issues that they were able to resolve the prior year. So they continue to, to really focus on corrective actions and addressing the issues that they have. We've covered on this program in a number of different contexts the issues that agencies have in doing cross-agency work. And you point out in this work, same idea. You write, the federal government's not able to adequately account for transactions and balances between federal agencies and properly prepare the government's financial statements. What seems to be the problem there? Is it the way that the information is conveyed from agency to agency? Is it the quality of the information that the agencies have to share with each other? Some combination of that, something else? So the intergovernmental issue has been a major impediment at the consolidated level for that has prevented us from providing an opinion on the U.S. government's consolidated financial statements. And when you when you look at it, the the federal agencies do a lot of business with with each other. So this is this is a you know a large undertaking to really um, get a handle on all of the transactions that are occurring between federal agencies, and the the goal is that in order to prepare the consolidated financial statements under federal accounting standards, is all that activity has to eliminate in consolidation. And so agencies uh, do need to, to have the processes and controls and the communication with their trading partners so that they have the data that will eliminate once it goes forward for the preparation of the consolidated financial statements. Uh, and so agencies, there's been a lot of improvement in this area over the years. The agencies are, um, this has been an area of focus and they are improving their controls in this area. You still get to, to some things that um, due to timing differences and different methodologies, you know, there are just some issues that are, that Treasury is still working on guidance to the agencies to to, to really make sure that the, the data that's coming forward will eliminate. Um, and then you, you do have some, uh, a couple of agencies that have more significant problems in establishing the controls that they do need in this area. Uh, DOD, as we just mentioned, is one of the agencies that, um, that has issues in this area that they need to, to resolve. One of the kind of the permeating concepts in the work that you've done, Dawn, is references to COVID-19 and the impact that's had on financial management across the government. You mentioned SBA and and you write in this work that uh, SBA was not able to obtain an opinion on its financial statements because of significant weaknesses, you write, related to COVID-19 relief programs. What sense do we have or, or can we derive from the impact that, that responding to the pandemic had that might make these problems that agencies have one-offs as the COVID-19 situation passes, as pandemic response becomes less necessary, and as the money from Congress dries up for agencies to respond to COVID-19? 
So when you have new programs, which like with COVID-19, there was a lot of new programs that were established um, and changes, any kind of change that's affecting your controls. Uh, it, it can be challenging for agencies to, to one, establish the controls that they need in a very fairly quick manner, but then as well as, you know, just um, uh, performing the risk assessment and monitoring uh, the controls that they do have. And so that focus on internal controls is, is really where um, is important to your financial reporting process. And if you have that structure and, and that reaction to any changes in your control processes, then, then you have a better chance of being successful that changes in your environment will, will then um, not, uh, as far as your financial reporting, not be where you want it to be um, when you're preparing your financial statements. What would you like agencies broadly or the government as an enterprise, you know, at the OMB level to take away from this work, Dawn? We continue to um, work very closely with OMB and Treasury, and we have seen that the the issues that they are um, you know working on to resolve, um, we've seen their commitment. Um, we continue to um, encourage you know the agencies and OMB and Treasury to really focus on improving federal financial management and the controls. Um, and really, the goal is to to have the controls and processes in place so that you have timely, reliable data whenever you need it, not just for the financial statements that are prepared as of September 30th, but the goal of and the vision of the Chief Financial Officers Act was to have this data, reliable data, when, um, you know, at any point in time during the year. And that really comes from having, you know, the internal controls and the processes um, there to in order to do that. Don Simpson of the Government Accountability Office, appreciate the conversation. Thanks for your time today. Thank you. You can read Dawn's work in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. The Daily Scoop Podcast is available on all the podcast platforms. If you've already rated the show on your platform of choice, thanks for doing that. High ratings and good reviews of the show help more people find it. The Daily Scoop Podcast is a production of the Scoop News Group in Washington, D.C. James Mahoney helps me put the show together and the entire Scoop News Group team contributes. Tomorrow, the Principal Deputy Chief Information Officer at the Pentagon, Kelly Fletcher. Until then, I'm Francis Rose. Thanks for listening.